Hi guys, Jay McGann here, and welcome back to another episode of There I Read It, where I'm going over the Harry Potter books chapter by chapter for the very first time in my life, and today we're on Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, chapter 10. And there's a ton going on in this chapter, from a Quidditch game to Hermione getting a hold of a restricted book, and even some surprise missing bones. So let me get straight into my notes because there is quite a bit of interesting things to cover. The chapter starts in one of Lockhart's classes, and Harry gets to be the shining example for all of Lockhart's reenactments. And I, I'm really kind of wondering, um, I, I have a good idea of what Lockhart is and what he's about, but I wonder in that professor's mind, are the reenactments like a punishment? Is Lockhart trying to degrade Harry? Does he think he's helping Harry become a star so it's a nice gesture? Or is it something to do with Lockhart being this sort of fame chaser and he wants it to look like he's the one that made Harry into this well-known public figure? Like, oh, you were just a nobody, Harry. You were barely popular at all. And then I came along and now you're the school superstar. Everybody knows your name. I kind of lean towards the last one being correct but I, I still don't know exactly how to pin down Lockhart and his motives. Gosh, I really hope he's not the surprise villain of this book because I kind of like him. And when the students are leaving Lockhart's class, he says that their homework is to compose a poem about his defeat of the Wagga Wagga werewolf. And of course, the student who writes the very best poem is going to get a signed copy of one of Lockhart's books. <laughs> he's just fantastic. I so admire his level of ego, even somebody who is constantly on camera and recording. I kind of hate myself, so I don't know. Um, I wonder if under Lockhart's top visual layer, if he's sort of self-loathing too, and all of this grandeur and all these great things that he wrote in his books and all of this attention seeking that he does is because he doesn't really like himself and he doesn't know how to cope with it. But anyways, Hermione, who needs this restricted book, actually gets Lockhart to sign for said book so that she can check it out of the library. And so Hermione is all set to make Polyjuice Potion because Lockhart didn't even look at what the title of the restricted book was that she wanted. So he he was a very, very good patsy. And poor Hermione is just like shaking as she's trying to give him the note and put one over on him because she's so sweet and pure and honest. And then before the kids can get out of Lockhart's class, uh, he pulls Harry aside and lets him know that Lockhart himself used to be a star seeker at school, so much so they wanted him to go pro, but he was all about that community service kind of lifestyle. Yeah, right. But then Lockhart tells Harry, who, just a reminder, is like the youngest Quidditch player in a hundred years or so. But Lockhart tells Harry that he has no problem trying to help out a kid who's not as good as him. And it's, it's just almost to a comical level here how much, you know, if everybody is a nail, Lockhart is always trying to tap down everybody else's nails so that he's the one sticking up the highest. So I kind of wonder if by the end of this book, he's not going to end up being the nail that gets hammered down because he sticks up way too much. But Hermione gets into the library, which is run by Madame Pence. I don't think that name has come up before. And Madame Pence really looks over that sign note hard, but then ultimately gives Hermione the book that she needs to make Polyjuice Potion. And Polyjuice is apparently the most complicated potion that Hermione has ever seen. It requires lacewing flies, leeches, 
fluxweed, knotgrass, powdered bicorn horn, which I don't even know what a bicorn is, and the shredded up skin of a boom slang. Oh, plus something personal from the person that they want to turn into. So Ron keeps saying, I'm not going to drink so-and-so's toenail clippings, but um, I assume you could use a hair or skin flakes. Not that any of that is not completely gross still, but as Rumpelstiltskin would tell us, magic always comes at a price. Dearie. Ultimately though, Hermione's not sure if they can get the ingredients, but if they can, it's gonna take at least a month to make said potion. But then cue the trumpets, it's time for another Quidditch match with Gryffindor versus Slytherin. And for some strange reason, the bludger ball is just fixated on Harry. They make it very clear in the book that the bludger is not supposed to act like that, that it's supposed to go after any random students because its goal is to knock off as many as it can. And hopefully in the context, knock off means knock off of their broomsticks and not kill, but uh, I don't know, this thing's pretty violent. And George and Fred Weasley are trying their hardest, but this bludger just will not quit, won't stop coming after Harry. They finally call a timeout and Harry says, no, no, don't say anything to Madam Hooch because then she'll make us forfeit the game while they investigate the bludger. Just keep Fred and George off of me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it work. You know, I'll keep dodging the bludger. I'll make it happen and we'll win this game. It'll be great. And George and Fred, who are very, you know, oorah quidditch stuff, they're actually angry that the team Captain Wood goes along with this. So as crazy and irresponsible as George and Fred usually seem, I mean, they actually do really care about people. And you can kind of see here that they have a bit of their father in them because they really want to have this inquiry over the ball happen. But Harry doesn't want another loss on his shoulders. You know, it seems like every time he gets out there versus Slytherin, something awful is going on with Harry. He just can't keep it together. And as very easily predicted, the bludger does end up hitting Harry. It breaks his arm. He is barely able to stay on his broomstick. But while Draco Malfoy is sort of pointing and laughing, he doesn't notice that the golden snitch is right above his head. So Harry, with his broken arm, dives for it, scares the crap out of Malfoy, gets the golden snitch, wins the game. And while poor Harry is laying on the ground, writhing in agony, Lockhart appears and he's like, I know a charm to fix your arm. Hold on, hold on, let me do this. And Harry's like, no, no, please, no, please don't. But Lockhart insists and ends up erasing, deleting, removing, whatever word you want to use there, 33 bones out of Harry's arm. Oh my goodness, I, I, my bone-itis is flaring up here. I could just die reading that. That's so gross. I could puke. And when Harry gets to Madame Pomfrey, the nurse, she is furious. She said a broken bone she could have healed in a second, but regrowing bones is a really nasty, painful business. And Harry has to take this really nasty, burny formula called Skelligrow. But he manages to fall asleep until at some point in the night, he wakes up to Dobby sponging his forehead. And Dobby is just so woeful. He's so broken that Harry's hurt. And he's just like, oh, why couldn't you listen to me and just not come to Hogwarts? And so Dobby does end up confirming, kind of accidentally, that he did close platform nine and three quarters on Harry. 
And he also, I don't know, hexed or whatever the bludger that didn't say exactly what he did to make the bludger act up, but Dobby was responsible for that. And Dobby also gives us a little more Hell Self backstory. He says he wears a pillowcase as a sign of his enslavement and that house elves can only be freed if their master presents them with clothes. So a master or anybody over him would be afraid to even hand Dobby a sock because then Dobby could go, thanks for the clothes peace out. And obviously that's not what you want out of a slave. And also Dobby doesn't really clarify this very directly, but he explains that to the enslaved community who lived through Voldemort being in power, they all just thought that dark times would be over their heads forever. And then Harry Potter defeated Voldemort. And that made Harry like a beacon to all of the enslaved that the dark days can end. So even though it's not directly clarified either way, it seems that Dobby is acting of his own accord and not due to any kind of Malfoy orders. Again though, I think this is an issue that could still flip either way and it's not very well addressed. You know, for all the exposition that Dobby throws at us, he doesn't quite answer enough of the question that I would like to hear. But I guess Rowling would probably chalk most of this up to, hey, house elves are just really powerful, deal with it. It just kind of reminds me of the first episode of Legend of Korra, I'm the Avatar and you gotta deal with it. Rowling's over there like, I'm the author and you gotta deal with it. Dobby also confirms though that the Chamber of Secrets is real and then Harry describes like a loud snapping or popping noise and Dobby just vanishes before anybody else can come in the room. So I guess he can teleport? But the people coming into that room of the hospital wing are McGarnagle and Dumbledore because they have a petrified student. And the student was found in the stairway with grapes holding up his camera and he's just like frozen like that. And it turns out to be that sweet little first year Colin Creevy. And when they try to open up his camera to see if he got a picture of what attacked him, all they could smell was this like melting plastic. The inside of the camera was ruined. So we have a proper mystery going on. I have to say, I feel like maybe it's because I've seen the first movie so many times that, that the book didn't strike me as much. Or maybe it's because the second book adds a lot more detail than the movie was able to. But I really do feel like this book is much better written on the mystery end of things. I mean, the first book were just like, oh yeah, I bet Snape is the one who's doing all these bad things. I mean, they kind of Scooby-Dooed it with the way it was presented. And for anyone who is somehow not familiar with Scooby-Doo, their whole episode format is that we spend 90% of the episode thinking, yeah, it's that dude right there. He's the one up to this. He's the one doing the bad thing. And then at the last second, they demask the monster and it's like, oh, it's the old caretaker that we barely showed in the episode who did this because he was losing his job or, you know, whatever silly thing. And I mean, that's really how the first book read for me. It was all just too obvious and a little bit too juvenile, even though granted, yet again, this is supposed to be a children's book. But this one, even though I've seen the movie, it hasn't been since the movie was new, so I've forgotten a ton of things and I, I don't know it's just like even though I still remember enough to know where this is going I can't figure out what's happening based on the current clues that are presented and I think that's a, a much better format for this story 
It really keeps you intrigued, it really keeps you guessing, and it really makes me look forward to reading more of these books in the series and, and seeing if this does become more deeper mysteries, deeper issues, deeper problems. And I know it does, but it's just kind of crazy to me after reading the first book. I mean, I, I would have been fine without ever reading any more of the books. Like, I didn't really care for it. I thought Rowling had some weird things in there that didn't make sense to me as an adult. Like, the Dursleys are just evil for the sake of evil, which, I mean, we have no context or backstory for their situation. Or that wizards are jerks just because they can't use logic. Sorry, but you should know at a certain point that what you're doing isn't right. Doesn't have to be a wizard exclusive thing to have a skosh of common sense. And even characters like Filch, he was just kind of flat and he was there to serve a purpose of, ooh, this caretaker guy is kind of scary and creepy. But now we're getting that extra layer, like we're peeling into the onion and finding that there's so much more than we thought. And I do like that and I do appreciate that. And I'm excited to finish this book and kind of get through three. I've had a lot of people tell me that the fourth book is actually the longest, most trudgy, difficult book to read, but I hated the third movie so much. So I'm hoping that the book will, will pique my interest better and keep my spirits up and explain things that I thought were really dumb in the movie. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because of course I've still got to get through that book before people start uh, dropping me little hints and spoilers of things. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to me ramble on about yet another chapter. Make sure you subscribe and tune in next week as I cover the next chapter, chapter 11. And we will see you next time, my dear, dear, dear family members. Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.